home. Not that there was anything left to see, but this was where had stood his adoptive parents' hut. The familiarity was tempered by a strange sensation that everything seemed smaller than he remembered. The stream in which he had learned to swim, which ran into the Lyris River, the trees in the nearby woods, even the distance between the hut and the busy Via Appia half a league away. Only the mountains to the east looked the same, rising in tiers, covered in dense forests, with that strange-shaped extinct volcano, with a cap shaped like a votive cup, the tallest of them all. Standing on the spot, Aquila could almost hear Fulmina's voice, often berating her husband, Clodius. It was she who had prophesied greatness for him, with a faith he had never been able to share. How could he, the child of peasants, do what she foretold? Only on the day she died did he hear the truth. He had been brought here as a newborn child, exposed in the nearby woods, to die on the feast day of the goddess Lupercalia. Clodius, occasionally drunk, always on the sharp end of his wife's tongue, had been sleeping off a drinking bout. Woken by a baby crying for food, he had fetched him back to his wife, knowing it would assuage her anger. On his ankle had been the charm he now wore round his neck, an indication that at least one of his true parents wanted him to live. Had they sold it, they could have lived in some comfort, and Clodius would have been spared the need for service and, ultimately, death in the legions. Then they did not speak of the power Fulmina felt, and the dreams that merely touching the charm had brought on. A wander round the district brought back other memories, like the day he had met Gaderic, a slave disguised as an addle-brained shepherd, of the dog, Minka, huge and fierce to a stranger, as gentle as a lamb to a friend, long dead now. The shepherd hut was still there, occupied by another, sitting at the edge of the field where the Celt had taught him how to fight with a wooden sword, how to fire an untipped arrow, and most of all, how to use the spear he still carried, which Gaderic had stolen from the guards of his owner, the fat senator, Cassius Barbinus. The land he walked on belonged to Cassius Barbinus, Sosia, the slave girl with whom he had enjoyed a tender childhood romance, had belonged to Barbinus. Didius Flaccus, the ex-centurion who had taken him to Sicily, had worked for Barbinus. Aquila had lived with Flaccus and his ruffian guards on the fat senator's Sicilian farms, and so, unwittingly, he had visited cruelty on the slaves in the name of profit. The man loomed so large in his life, and here he was— standing in the woods that sheltered the cistern that fed the fountains and baths of the Barbinus villa, close to tears as he contemplated life without all the people who filled his memories. He was tempted to visit the Darbo farm, where he had gone to live after the death of Fulmina, but that was not a place of fond memories. He had hated Piscius Darbo for the way he had duped jolly but dim-witted Clodius into deputizing for him when he was called up for a second stint in the legions, this so he could stay home and get rich. Was the old bugger Darbo still alive, anyway? Or was his farm now in the hands of his sons, Annius and Rufurius, boys he used to fight all the time? Old neighbours, recognising him, told him, with no sign of grief, that Piscius was dead. Annius Darbo, the eldest son and a born bully, had the farm, now a ranch, while Rufurius, who had at least tried to be friendly to orphaned Aquila, had got nothing, and was no longer in the vicinity. They also told him there was a legacy waiting for him in Aprilium, 
a bequest made by a general called Aulus Cornelius Macedonicus, who had died commanding a cohort of the Tenth Legion at the Pass of Thrillaxus in Illyricum, money for the support of the dependents of his fallen legionaries, Clodius being one of that number. Having established his identity with the priests at the temple, and because there was nothing for him now in the place in which he had grown up, he made his way back on the Via Appia and continued to head north. Marcellus Valerius came back to a house on the Palatine Hill that seemed empty without his father. Ever since he could remember, the spacious atrium had been full of supplicants seeking favours from Rome's most powerful politician, the leader of the Optimates. Now it had a hollow feel. The household slaves, normally so busy attending to those petitioners, were idle, in mourning, staying in their quarters, some, no doubt, praying to their own gods that they would be freed.